Hello, welcome to Bush History. I'm David Bush, and you are listening to my eighth podcast review on American history. These podcasts were originally YouTube videos and are still available on YouTube under Bush History, B-U-S-C-H-I-S-T-O-R-Y. You can also find additional information at my website, www.bushhistory.net. That's B-U-S-C-H-I-S-T-O-R-Y. I hope you find this useful. With the victories over Germany and Japan in 1945, the Cold War actually has its formal beginnings. A lot of people claim that it's the atomic bomb. Some people claim it's what happens in Europe in terms of the Soviets leaving troops in Eastern Europe. You can actually trace it back to 1917 when the Russian Revolution, when we supported the, uh, the whites as opposed to the reds, and we were actually part of a small invading force in the Soviet Union. They call it often the legacy of distrust. Pick your poison. But in 1945, things are going to heat up. World War II is going to come to an end. We now have the atomic bomb. No one else has the atomic bomb, so it's ours. It's ours, and we're going to try and run the table with it. It's the official beginning of the Cold War. Some domestic things that happened. We have the GI Bill of Rights. The GI Bill of Rights in 1945 is going to be a series of laws, almost like a new deal for uh, soldiers coming home from Europe and Japan. Uh, there's going to be money for education. There's going to be money for home purchasing. And there's going to be money to invest in businesses and healthcare as well. It's basically a way of taking care of our soldiers as we go into the 1950s after World War II ends. Also, in 1945, we get the UN Charter signed. We're going to get the UN. It's going to ultimately be located in New York City. That's going to take a little while, but it's going to try to give teeth into the whole the old uh, League of Nations idea because the UN Charter is going to require uh, member contributions in terms of international conflicts. The members have got to somehow participate in either peacekeeping or supporting peacekeeping ventures. The United States is going to belong to it. The Soviet Union is going to belong to it. West Germany is going to belong to it, as well as East Germany is going to belong to it, so it's hopefully be a little more effective. Anyway, this time period is going to be called the Cold War. It starts in 1945, and it's going to actually continue for quite a while. In 1946, when uh, Stalin has refused to remove troops from Eastern Europe while giving a tour of the United States, it's actually in Missouri, it's in Independence, Missouri, Winston Churchill gives his famous Iron Curtain speech. And the Iron Curtain speech basically says, there's an Iron Curtain descending across Europe from which light cannot enter or leave. And what he's talking about really the occupied nations of Eastern Europe or the satellite countries, so to speak, of the Soviet Union. We also, in 1946, we get the Atomic Energy Act passed, which is supposed to oversee development of nuclear power in the United States and nuclear testing and et cetera, everything that goes along with um, atomic power in the United States because it's now this, it's this new technology and we're going to make sure we develop it correctly, hence the Atomic Energy Act. The Republicans will take Congress in 1946. Uh, they're not, there's a, a strong feeling that we've had enough democratic rule for a while. There are a bunch of strikes in 1946 because labor is, is now fighting back, so to speak. They were not paid a lot during World War II, and they are fighting to raise wages and things like that. Anyway, so the Republicans are going to take Congress. And one of the first things they're going to do in 1947, is they're going to pass the Taft-Hartley Act. The Taft-Hartley Act basically undoes the Wagner Act. The Wagner Act allowed workers to unionize, and the Taft-Hartley Act says, well, maybe, maybe you don't have to. 
it outlaws uh, closed shops and now people who work in different kinds of industries have a choice of unionizing or not unionizing. And basically it's an attempt at backing up a little bit from the support of the unions that the Wagner Act had offered as a result of the New Deal. Same thing in 19, and by the way, that's over Harry Truman's veto. That shows that the Republicans are firmly in charge. Also, we get the Truman Doctrine. Truman Doctrine is going to be aid to Turkey and Greece if they resist communism and Soviet expansion. Uh, it's going to start out at 400 million. It's going to rise to over 600 million. It basically it's another form of dollar diplomacy. We gave money around the world to help countries for a while now, and now we're going to do it in war-torn Europe. We're going to start with Truman. Uh, should we start with Turkey, and then we're going to aid Greece as well. They're going to resist the Soviet Union. Then, in a bigger, in a bigger place, Secretary of State Marshall says, "You know, the idea works so well in Turkey and Greece. Why don't we do it in all of Europe?" And he passes. Excuse me. He ferments the, the Marshall Plan, and the Marshall Plan will pass Congress. It's going to be 13 billion dollars. 13 billion dollars to rebuild the continent that we actually helped destroy in liberating it in, uh, in World War II. But the idea, once again, is if they resist communism, they'll get a lot of aid from Uncle Sam. And if they get aid from Uncle Sam, hopefully they'll be our friends. And it worked wonderfully. Uh, Stalin was offered the money and he turned it down. Um, you can only imagine why. Nevertheless, 1947 is a big year. We talked about Taft-Hartley, we talked about Truman, Marshall Plan, we get the House Un-American Activities Committee. And these, this House Un-American Activities Committee, as part of this Cold War hysteria, because the commies are coming over the mountain now, as part of that, they're going to start to investigate people for un-American activities. I'm not really sure what un-American activities are, but they're going to investigate them anyway. We're going to get the Loyalty Act, which is going to require government employees to take a loyalty oath, as if the oath is going to stop them from you know, subversive activities. The National Security Act will be passed. The National Security Act um, allows for the Department of Defense, the National Security Council, and the Central Intelligence Agency. So now we're really gearing up for this Cold War fight here. There's really a collective uh, paranoia that in a lot of cases is similar to the paranoia after 9-11. So nevertheless, we're going to uh, kind of start to lead with these, a lot of these government security agencies coming into play. In 1948, there's a bunch of things that happen as well. Truman wins re-election, much to everyone's surprise. Truman, tr uh, surprise. Truman doesn't expect he's going to win. Uh, he goes to bed that night thinking he lost, and it's the famous Dewey Defeats Truman newspaper that he holds up the next morning and shows he actually won. And not only does he win, the Democrats take Congress back for the Republicans. So we're seesawing back and forth between political parties and control, but Truman now has a Democratic Senate and a Democratic House of Representatives, so we have Democratic legislative and executive branch. Not necessarily related, Israel, we have the formation of Israel in 1948, and of course that's going to create ongoing problems in the Middle East that have not been solved yet. The Berlin blockade begins. Uh, the Soviets are a little upset about the way things are going in the western part of Germany, and they don't want allow, to allow access to the capital, to Berlin. So they're going to blockade it. They literally block the roads and they block the rails. And Truman keeps his head. He comes up with a slick idea. says, why don't we just fly over the blockade and see if they don't really shoot at Red Cross planes and planes carrying food and fuel and medical supplies. That blockade uh, actually lasts from June of 1948 through May of 1949. And during that time, we fly 272,000 flights. Think about that. 11 months, 272,000 planes landing and taking off, bringing food and supplies. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. But in this collective fear that's going on, Truman also announces a peacetime draft. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen. Since we don't know what's going to happen, we're going to have this draft. 
And he's basically gearing up for what if we have to fight the commies. He also announces in 1948, going into 1949, his version of the New Deal is called the Fair Deal. A lot more democratic programs, primarily helping to uh, allow servicemen to adjust and allow for the growth that's going to occur in the 1950s. Uh, 1949, we're going to get the formation of NATO. Once again, there's a fear of the Soviet Union uh, spreading across Europe. So the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, basically, it's the nations who fought in World War II who are on the North Atlantic. So you can almost, we're not going to list them all, but it's most of the countries in Northwestern Europe, Canada, the United States. And um, in 1949 as well, it's almost like the Soviets heard us, knock, knock, they're going, to, they're going to explode their atomic bomb. Now this surprises everybody, because Truman had been told, no, 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 it's going to be years and years. He was told eight to nine years before the Soviets had their atomic bomb. Well, it's not eight to nine years, it's four years. And now let the games begin and the arms race begins, because if they have one, we need bigger, better, and more. During that same year, we have China goes communist. Ch uh, Mao chases Chiang out and assumes control of China. This policy of containment that we've been following that starts with the Truman Doctrine all the way back in 1947, then goes to the Marshall Plan, then we're going to get the CIA to enforce containment, NSC 68, which is going to set up the National Security Commission, and the uh, National Security Act is all part of that, is going to say, how can we keep communism from spreading, and it's not going so well. With China becoming communist in 1949, and the atomic bomb uh, being exploded by the Soviets in 1949, doesn't seem to be going too well. And then it gets better. Really, a little sarcasm. In 1950, Alger Hiss is going to become the first high-profile case of this fairly young Cold War. Alger Hiss had been a, a New Deal operative of Franklin Roosevelt. People considered him to be a socialist, as they did with some other people within the Roosevelt administration who were New Deal operatives. And he had been accused of giving secrets to the Soviet Union. This is the whole Whitaker Chambers case with the pumpkin patch. And, the microfilm and stuff like that. We're not going to go into all the details of that. But he was charged of being a traitor and a communist sympathizer. So as the trial wears on, the story gets thinner and thinner. But he's questioned. He's questioned about who his associates are. And he doesn't tell the truth, essentially. He says that he's never had any affiliation with the Communist Party or with known communists. And as it turns out, they're able to prove that he actually did. He did know some communists and he had met with them. So he's actually been found guilty of perjury. Not a crime against the United States, just lying on the stand. But of course, the newspapers are going to hold up these headlines that say, his guilty. But he's guilty of perjury, not of being a traitor or a communist sympathizer. And during 1950 as well, NSC-68 would pass, National Security Council 68, a broad set of regulations giving the executive branch a lot of power to try and contain communism. And as we go forward, it will include uh, assassinations, and it will include installing the Shah in Iran, and it will include other covert activities around the world to stop the spread of communism. We're going to get the McCarran Act in 1950 as well, and the McCarran Act basically is going to require anyone in the United States who is a member of a socialist or communist party to register with the United States government. Uh, I'm not really sure how many people actually do that, but if you know, if it's found out that you are a member of one of these organizations and you don't register, it's going to be a crime. And if you work for the government, not only will you lose your job, but you're going to go to jail for it. So it's, you know, it's a tough time in the United States as it's paranoid about the Cold War. 
And why not? Because in 1950, the Korean War begins as well. First, we have China going communist in 1949. Now we have the North invading the South in 1950. It looks like it's all going to hell. And this is when the UN faces its first big test. The UN, the Security Council of the UN, and the Soviets are not going to be there for this vote. The Security Council of the UN is going to vote to send in troops into South Korea to help the South Koreans fight the North Koreans. And of course, that troop contingent will be largely uh, American, French, British, and Canadian. And we're going to go in there and we are going to try and fight the Korean War and push the Koreans back north of the 38th parallel. So that's going to be a dicey war. It's going to go on until 1953, and it's going to be the first major test of the young United Nations and of the containment policy. See, are, are we really up to actually doing this? So the Korean War begins in 1950, and there's a dispute about who's really in charge. Uh, General MacArthur, the, uh, the hero of the Asian campaign or the Pacific campaign during World War II, thinks he's in charge, and Harry Truman knows he's in charge, and you don't generally win when you fight with Harry Truman. So, in 1951, there's a dispute about what's going to happen in the Korean War. MacArthur really wants to get the Chinese involved, and he wants to invade China, and he even discuss about using nuclear weapons on China. So, with a lot of these very bold statements, Harry Truman realized that uh, Douglas MacArthur's liability. You can't have your general talking about invading the most populated country in the world. It's not going to go very well. So, in 1951, uh, Harry Truman fires General MacArthur. And that's the famous MacArthur, I'll be back. Or, you know, you haven't seen the last of me, or I'm going to come back one day, or anything like that. He basically says that he's not finished in politics and in the military. Of course, he actually is finished in both. Anyway, so with the dismissal of Douglas MacArthur, the Korean War basically seesaws back and forth with at one time or another the South gaining advantage and another time the North gaining advantage and we march up to the Chinese border, the Chinese push us down to the southern tip of South Korea and we eventually end up kind of back in the middle, almost where it began and the Cold War is part of this and this is also called the surrogate war sometimes because the, the northern Korea, the North Koreans were being supplied with communist weapons. Nevertheless, in 1952 we set off a hydrogen bomb. So now we bomb Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The Soviets set off their atomic bomb. Now we've got bigger and better. It's a hydrogen bomb. A lot bigger than the atomic bomb. So now, of course, you know what the Soviets are going to do. The Soviets can say, well, we need one of these two, and the arms race is going to continue, as does the Cold War. President Eisenhower, probably the most popular person in the United States in 1952, wins the presidency in 1952. And there was a debate about whether he would be Republican or Democrat. He was really kind of apolitical. And he didn't like the way that the Democrats had been running the, uh, the Korean War. And he didn't like some Democratic policies. So he chose to run on the Republican ticket. And of course, Republicans are only really glad to have him because uh, the Democrats have been in charge of the White House for a very long time now. In 1953, uh, we're going to get Eisenhower, now president, we're going to get the Rosenbergs, Julius and Ethel, executed for supposedly giving secrets to the Soviets about the atomic bomb. There's a lot of speculation about that. Many people think Julius may have, and Ethel did not. Uh, it is really one of those interesting stories in the United States history that we're not sure of all the details of, but it didn't matter back then. The Red Scare was going on, the McCarthy hearings were going on, McCarthy hearings having started back at the time of the beginning of the Korean War, and these are our communists. This is the 1950s versions of Sacco and Vanzetti back in the 1920s. The Korean War reached an armistice in 1953, 
And that is a ceasefire, which is where it is today. It's in a permanent ceasefire. That's why occasionally you'll hear, you'll hear um, something about the North Koreans threatening the South Koreans. And we have troops in South Korea to prevent the North Koreans from invading the South Koreans. And there's landmines separating the North and South, but there's no formal peace treaty. And every once in a while, things flare up. They flared up recently, and they probably will flare up again. Uh, divided nations generally want to reunify somehow. Now, it's been such a long time since, uh, since Korea's been divided. It's an interesting uh, discussion as to exactly how this is all going to ultimately end. But nevertheless, in 1953, we have the armistice in Korea, which is simply a ceasefire. Also, declaring the Middle East as vital as part of our containment policy, Eisenhower has the CIA install the Shah in Iran. The Shah will now be a, not a puppet, but he will be dictator of Iran, and we're going to support him with money and weapons all the way up until 1979, and it's not going to go too well in the late 1970s. He's going to use our money and our weapons to really subjugate his people. He's really a brutal dictator, and he's doing it with not our blessing so much, but with materials and money that he's getting from us. And the deal in turn is we're going to get a very favorable price for oil. And consequently, oil is very inexpensive throughout most of the 1950s, 60s, and 70s because Iran is our chief supplier. Now, not to think that nothing else is going on but the Cold War, although that's the largest part of what people are thinking about, the Civil Rights Movement is also going to kick off. We're going to get Brown versus the Board of Education, in which Plessy versus Ferguson is going to be overturned. Eisenhower <coughs> had very mixed feelings about this. He thought it might be too much too soon. And uh, he thought it might be an overreach by the federal government to tell the states, especially the southern states, that they have to do this and they have to do it now. But nevertheless, he did give Earl Warren instructions that whatever decision the Supreme Court comes up with, it needed to be unanimous. He didn't want any ambiguity in this. Look at the ambiguity in Roe versus Wade. It was a 5-4 decision. People have been fighting about it ever since. The same thing is true in the election of 2000 with uh, Bush v. Gore. It's a 5-4 decision. People argued about that one for a long time. This is going to be a 9 nothing decision. And Brown is going to become the law of the land, basically saying that um, segregation can never be equal and you can never have separate and equal schools. And that's going to now diffuse out through society, although it will take a while for that to actually occur. So anyway, in the same year, we're going to get the Battle of the Bien Phu in Vietnam. And Vietnam, you say, well, there's a treaty in Vietnam called CETO, Southeast Asian Treaty Organization, that we are part of. And it's an extension of the idea of containment again, that if uh, communism spreads in Southeast Asia, that we will get involved to stop it from spreading. And at the end, Bien Phu, the French lose miserably to the North Vietnamese, led by Ho Chi Minh in Vietnam, and they're going to invoke the CETO Treaty, and that's going to cause President Eisenhower to send advisors into Vietnam in 1954. So we actually involved in Vietnam in 1954, and we don't actually physically get done with it until 1975. A 21-year involvement in Vietnam. Unbelievable, if you can think about that much time being involved in the war in Southeast Asia. Not to be completely lost on other things that are going on in society, Jonas Salk is going to invent the polio vaccine, and that's going to largely serve to eradicate polio. And the coolest thing about it is, he thought it was a gift to mankind, so he gave it away. He did not profit from the polio vaccine. What a cool, cool thing that is. Still, not forgetting that the Cold War is going on, and civil rights is heating up. It's a very busy time. 
1955, we'll have the Warsaw Pact, which is going to be the Soviet answer to NATO. The, difference, the big difference between NATO and the Warsaw Pact is the Warsaw Pact was not voluntary. All Soviet satellite countries agreed under pressure, for sure, definitely under pressure, that they would fight back against aggression from NATO. And aggression from NATO is kind of a silly idea because we weren't that interested in being aggressive. We just didn't want communism to spread. And we have Rosa Parks and the famous I'm not giving up my seat on the bus story in 1955, which sparks the Montgomery bus boycott. Something that a lot of people don't go into about Rosa Parks is Rosa Parks was actually an activist for the NAACP. She had been coached ahead of time as to what to do and how to handle herself should she be challenged on any of the segregation laws. A lot of people think she was just some innocent person on a bus. She may have been innocent, and she may have been on a bus, but she had an idea of what was going on, and they played it out very well. And that leads to the Montgomery bus boycott.